This is the Commons LA Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the biblical teachings and sermons from our Sunday gatherings. For more information on how you can get connected at the Commons LA, please check us out online at thecommonsla.com. There's a lot of great information there. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Let's uh, let's open up to Acts 16 now, and would you stand with me as we read these sections from Acts 16? There are three sections from this chapter that we are going to read. I will read through them here as we are devoting 2024 to our emphasis of learning to what? Learning to pray on mission. Learning to pray on mission. So, Acts 16, starting in verse 6. They, that is Paul and Timothy, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus... The only place in all the Bible that the Spirit of Jesus is how the Holy Spirit's referenced, FYI, did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, Cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 16. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Well, that's supposed to continue here. Let me... You just read for us the next portion. Uh, verse, oh, the rest of verse 18. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. Okay, that's what the rest of verse 18 says. 25. And about midnight, Paul and Silas, they had been thrown in prison because they freed this slave girl from the spirit of fortune-telling and deprived her owners of much financial gain, so they threw them in prison. 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself, since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. 
And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with his entire house. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that as we gather as your family of adopted sons and daughters this morning, you are with us. Your joy is over us. You chose us out of darkness into your light. And Jesus, as you walk among us by your Spirit this morning, we invite you to uh, grip our hearts, to unite our hearts, to fear your name and nothing else. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would stir us up to see what you do through your people in the dark places they find themselves. So help us this morning to be stirred to learn to pray on mission a little bit more. Make us a people who are faithful and by your power fruitful in the places you have placed us. In Christ's name, everyone said, amen. All right, you can grab your seats. So, um, I remember when I was in college, an older believer, about 60 years old or so, sat down with a hundred or so of us young Christians in college to impart some wisdom to us. He told us that, among other things, that looked at all of us, you are here to get a degree. You are here as a student. Your first responsibility is to study well and to apply yourself. Now, I don't remember much else of what he was saying, and he was contrasting probably studying hard to, like me, as a knucklehead young man in college, just trying to maximize the college experience and uh, instead telling us to devote ourselves to faithfully steward what we'd been given. Maybe he was trying to do that, but it didn't feel like that. A few of us walked away feeling passionately that maybe he had misplaced our calling, misunderstood our calling as followers of Jesus in college. We, we follow Jesus, are not defined first by some sort of mission or goal or assignment that is related to our earthly place. As a student, mom, a dad, an employee, we who have been saved by Jesus have been saved into His presence, given the gift of His Spirit, not so we can live in eternal bliss here and now, or even so we can prosper and live an example of a very successful human life. But we're saved into God's kingdom, given His Spirit, so that we can participate with Him in the extending of His mission that first came to us. If you're a student, your first identity is not to fulfill your role and get good grades. If you follow Jesus, your first missional calling is to love God and love people. The context that you find yourself in 
is the classroom. And so you should work hard. If you're trying to love God, you won't get so caught up in all the stuff that distracts you away from your studies anyway, so you'll probably get better grades. But it doesn't remove you from your responsibility. If you're a mom, your first mission is not to raise well-adjusted, responsible, middle-class human beings. Your first priority and mission that the Lord Jesus has given you is to raise little image bearers of God to be fit followers of Jesus in his kingdom. In your workplace, your first goal and mission and purpose is not to be a good worker merely. That can be conflated with all sorts of self-centered desires, right? Fear of man, people-pleasing, selfish ambition, so you can move on to the next thing. Your first mission is to love God and love people in the context that God has placed you. Now, it doesn't stay that simple. You do have a role to fill, and much of the scriptures speak to how you're to fulfill that role. But what I want all of us to see is that we in the room who say, I am a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, your life is no longer centered on you. Your life is about Jesus and His purpose through you. That shakes up everything about the why we are where we are, what are we thinking about and looking for in the places where we are, and it shapes the way we are where we are, the kind of character that we live out, the do's and don'ts of what's permissible for us. You see, as we pivoted from 23 into 2024, and we said, now we're learning to pray on mission, it's for a distinct purpose, that we would be as faithful as we possibly can as disciples and followers of Jesus in our city. The worst, if um, we're not there, but one of my great fears for us as a church body is that our great love for community would become this kind of insular club where we all feel so comfortable and happy and well-supported, and like we all know the rules of how we're supposed to live together, and our devotion is inward with nothing outward. We are called to love each other. We are called to cultivate a hospitable family where people can come in and belong and be welcomed in the name of Jesus from wherever they may be coming from. But it doesn't stop there. All of that security, that fabric of community that we have, the strength and solidarity that we go out with, serves a purpose. That's why in Jesus' last moments with his apostles and with his disciples, he was committed to handing off a torch of mission to them. He breathed on them in John 20, and he said, I give you the Holy Spirit. 
As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So while we are brothers and sisters in Jesus, and I hope you have experienced how amazing this church family can be, not perfect, not saying perfect, but I'm so proud of the way that we love and support one another. But it's all while we are on mission together. Now, what is mission? We need to understand that word. That word is thrown around all the time, but it, it, we need to understand it, okay? Mission is a big overarching word that we see lived out through Scripture. Mission is God's work to advance His kingdom of light in a world of darkness. Okay, that's one way we could sum it up. The advance of God's kingdom consists of loving people in Jesus' name, worshiping Jesus and praising Him as His people here on earth, going out and saving people from sin by proclaiming to them the path out of sin in Jesus. It consists of confronting injustice and evil and destruction and darkness and inviting people out of those things into life with God. And seeing the calling or vocation with which God made all humanity restored to people who have lost it. What's important about understanding that definition of mission is to realize we are not the initiators of mission in the world. You have been swept up onto the coattails of the Son of God. In Him, new creation is here. In Him, the evil one has been defeated. In Him, the darkness is fading away. But we misunderstand God and what He is like if we think the completion of His mission is inevitable apart from us. God is a sharer. He's an inviter. He's a wooer. He's an empowerer. The greatest gift of the gospel is not that you and I have some sort of eternal life stored up for us when we die. It's that we're swept up into the life of God and giving God Himself in Holy Spirit. But Holy Spirit will not remain with us and fill us if we are content to serving ourselves. So as we learn to pray on mission, guess what? We're learning in a way to be filled by Holy Spirit, to keep in step with Holy Spirit, to be led by Holy Spirit. Because what He does is fill us with the kind of joy and peace and love that compels us with compassion to go out to those who haven't yet tasted it. So let's look at Acts 16, because in these three passages, from a single chapter in the book of Acts, we get three glimpses of how the Spirit of God leads the people of God in prayer-filled mission, okay? We're going to make three simple observations. Now, quick moment. All of these are scriptures that describe 
pictures of what God's Spirit does. In yours and my life, here in this context, there are a whole lot of things that the, scripture, that the Spirit is going to do. Our job is to learn how to listen, press into Holy Spirit together as a people, so that then, as He speaks and leads, we are ready to follow. If you're like me, and like many of us, you might feel, maybe, just guessing, wholly inadequate to know what it means to keep in step with God's Spirit. Some of you might feel like it's very easy because all it really means is you see Jesus and know Jesus. But I think that's an inadequate definition, as we'll see from what God wants to do in us and through us by the Spirit of God. So, let's look at this first passage. What I want us to see is that we are not alone on mission. First thing, we are not alone on mission. Verses 6 through 10. Paul and Timothy went through this, the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, which would have meant them going into Turkey, modern-day Turkey. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with them, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. In these verses, the Spirit of God prohibits Paul and Timothy from going certain places, and then gives Paul a dream telling them to go a certain way. We are not alone on mission. As we go out into the world following Jesus, you, I, are not alone. It's not about us mustering up enough courage. It's not about us mustering up a genius strategy. It's about us growing in attentiveness to God's Spirit within us. The Spirit intervenes clearly to these disciples who were devoted to paying attention to Him. What we didn't read is that in Acts 13, it was the Spirit who told the church at Antioch to send Timothy or to send Paul and at that time Barnabas out on mission. The whole reason that they're out there is because the Spirit has told them. I wonder, not that every moment that the Spirit is speaking to us is a moment like this one. It's not that every day we should get up expecting, you know, you're walking onto campus or you're driving to work, to have the Spirit say, don't drive down Wilshire! Go down Santa Monica! Or a man lives on Santa Monica, come and help us! It's not that we would expect those things, but the question is, are we even paying attention to the Spirit of God for His leading? Okay? God loves to reveal Himself. Do you think about God like that? That God's eager, one theologian says that He's the talkative God? Amos 3.7 says, God does nothing without revealing His work to His servants, the prophets. 
well, prophets, come on, pastor. Well, Joel 2 says, with the coming of the Spirit, all of God's sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, what I don't take that to mean is that all of us will write inspired books of Scripture, but what it does mean is that all of us with the Spirit of God have a capacity by virtue of Jesus' coming and giving the new covenant and the Spirit of God into our hearts that we can sense the leading of God's Spirit. You believe this, right? Do we really believe, we believe this, right? I'm not asking you experience this every day. But if you have believed in Jesus, if you are following him, you can sense the leading of God's spirit in your day-to-day life. It's true actually regardless of whether you believe it or not, because God's word says it's true. Jesus went so far in John 14 as to say that the Spirit of God will come to all of his followers and manifest the Father and the Son to them. That's not like a speaking auditorily to you. That's a coming and manifesting the presence of Father and Son to Whether you're skeptical of what I'm saying right now, when you think about your own life or not, wouldn't it be amazing if it were more true of your daily life? That you could sense the leading of God's Spirit. Or where you were, you knew God's Spirit had placed you where you are. Friends, this is, here's why it's important to take this little circling of the bandwagons. If we think we're out there in the world alone, we will never muster up the courage to love people sacrificially in Jesus' name in ways that make us really uncomfortable or speak of Jesus in ways that produce some lack of comfort in our relationships with people who don't believe the same things that we do. But the fact that we're not alone means that as we take steps of risk to do scary things, things, God's Spirit rushes in to help us. And so maybe the tangible invitation is to take some risks out in the world to love someone in need in Jesus' name. To speak about Jesus and stand with Him when you have a relationship with someone in your workplace. When someone asks you how your week has been, you could just speak of, man, I was so skeptical at first, but I signed up to go to this 24-7 prayer room that my church is doing last week, and I went, and I didn't think there was any way I'd be able to pray for an hour, but my gosh, Jesus met me. I experienced joy in him. Made Made my week amazing compared to where it was going before that. And then I look at you a little weird, think, you think Jesus is actually alive. You could say, it sounds crazy. I know. But I... And so many people have experienced it and know it to be true. Did you know that the people out there, that the people that we ourselves were saved from being among in the darkness, the lostness, the confusion, um, they're hurting. Where's the... uh, 
This is a little on the spot. There was a trash bin. Is there a black trash bin, Brian, behind you there? A little tiny thing? Can I get that? Thank you. All right, so you see that black back mural upside down? Did an awesome work with a collaborator. And there's this thing where uh, you write a, on a cloud, I think if it's, a, if it's an aspiration for this year, you write on a tree if it's something else, you write on flowers if it's something you need, and then you write and crumple up something that you need to throw away in the trash that you're experiencing. Well, this is a great spiritual sociological study to see how people are doing. Right here in our context, um, someone wrote, anxiety. Another one wrote, hearing, I'm stupid. Someone else wrote, I'm not worthy. Someone else wrote, people don't love me. Someone else wrote, suicidal thoughts, shame, not liking myself. Guilt, guilt, grad school, <laughs> self-loathing. That I don't feel worthy to find love. Overthinking. Fear of failure. You get the point? These people probably have amazing Instagrams. I'm not kidding. They probably look very happy. And here's the thing. Many of us have great Instagrams and look like we're happy. And the Spirit of God wants to sweep us up into His wholeness. And we are not precluded from learning more and more the power of Jesus, the goodness of His grace, the love of our Heavenly Father, but we can't spend all of our time praying these inward prayers. Okay? If that's you, if you feel crippled by your inner struggles, you need community. You cannot go it alone. I want to call you, join a discipleship group, join an MC, find a group of people that are on the same struggle bus that you are, but trying to follow Jesus, and open up with them. You will never find the strength you need going to a therapist. You will never find the strength you need watching self-help videos. You need the strength that Jesus can provide. A therapist might help you figure out what's going on inside. If they're Christian therapists, they'll point you to Jesus. But you were made for community. And then we realize, man, if I have that hope, what about all my friends who don't have it? What about them? So friends, I can, I can feel in the room we don't feel confident about what it means to follow the Spirit. Just like last year, 
we said, Lord, we don't feel confident about knowing how to pray. Maybe when we think about learning to pray on mission, we need to set before us integral to that pursuit is learning to follow God's Spirit. Learning to be led by the Spirit of God. Keeping in step with the Spirit of God in our day-to-day life. All of those are commands straight from the New Testament. And it's available to you because of what Jesus has done. When we go out there, we're not alone on mission. If you want to learn how to be filled by God's Spirit, how to follow the Spirit, I'm going to tell you again. Dive into community. If you're here and you haven't trusted Jesus, surrender your life to Jesus' kingship. If you've believed in Jesus and are living your own life uh, apart from him, re-surrender your life to Jesus, all of it. He will be faithful to lead you. Slow down enough to do life with community and pay attention to God. I can guarantee you Paul and Timothy weren't busy like we say the word busy. They might have, if they were in our day, just going headlong, bustling through their calendar, AirPods in, and the Macedonian man just standing right there. Hey, over here. Might have missed him. At least that's what I feel like I would do sometimes. We need to be committed, if we want to follow the Spirit, to slowing down. said it before. I will say it again. Busy should be a curse word for us. We should not use that word. It's an out clause for us to plan our own life instead of submitting our life to Jesus to take his priorities and live them out. So you could say, ma'am, my schedule's very full. That's fine. But busy is the way of being ambiguous enough so that no one can actually hold you accountable to something. Our church, this church was started, actually, because of something like this that we see in Acts 16. Um, I was being prayed for in a group of Christian leaders up in a church in Seattle, and as the pastor was praying that God's Spirit would make callings clear to those people, I got a vision for the second time in my life, my eyes are closed, seeing blackness like I normally see when I close my eyes, and then white words appear. Plant a church at UCLA. I opened my eyes to see if the words were actually out here. And when I saw that they weren't, thought, okay, I don't even know where UCLA is in Los Angeles. And secondly, I will not trust something like that to uproot my family and move down to LA. So a series of prayers and requests. God, you need to make it more clear than just a vision. And one by one, God put every stepping stone in our path. And he's proven faithful. We moved down here 10 years ago. And now we're in a room sitting all together. I was not particularly attuned to being led by God's Spirit in those days. I'm still learning. But especially then. If it could happen with me, it can happen with you. We are not alone on mission. We don't follow our own plans. We follow the Spirit of God, but we need to slow down in community to be open to him speaking to us and leading us. Second element of good news in this is that Spirit gives us authority on mission. As we go out and the Spirit leads us, 
crazy things might start to happen. Verses 16 through 18. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us as she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. It's funny to me. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. A couple things to note. When she's saying these are servants of the Most High God, that would not have been obvious to the people around them that, that she meant Jesus. There were all sorts of deities that were referred to as God Most High and Most High God and these other phrases. It was actually something that was muddying their message. As we go out, we must be ready to confront human and spiritual evil. But we're not alone. And our authority isn't our own. You don't have power over those things because you're so great. Great as you are. You have power in the kingdom of God and the authority of Jesus Christ himself as you go out in his name because of what he has completed through his death, resurrection, and ascension. If you don't believe me, you can read Luke 9, Luke 10 where he calls his disciples, not just the apostles, to himself. And it says that he gave them authority to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. Demon's kind of a scary word to us. It just means false god. Demigod, where the the word comes from. Um, I hate to break it to you, but they are still at work. They're still very real. We don't have eyes to see them very well, though. Because we've taken the gift of science and we've turned evidence and what's visible into everything about what we understand reality is. But we follow Jesus, who's invisible. And the scriptures know he's invisible. So too are evil spirits that help animate evil around us. But in the name of Jesus, you have authority over them. I've sat in this room with people who have manifested evil spirits. They particularly come out when someone's trying to draw near to Jesus, because there's nothing that they hate more than image bearers of God getting to their maker, creator, savior, and redeemer. And so, someone was trying to come forth and confess some pretty significant sin in their life, and as he was trying to vocalize it, He starts going like this. And I was sensing that there were things going on in his life that were probable of spiritual darkness. And so I was praying with my eyes open. And I said, hey, name, we'll call you Charles. The name is Charles in here. Hey, Charles, it looks like you're going through something right now. Can you share with me what you're experiencing? He said through gritted teeth, I feel burning pain in my back. So calmly, non-loud, but in the authority of Jesus, simply spoke over him. It's very clear that something demonic is affecting Charles right now, and you've already been defeated by Jesus by his death on the cross and the kingdom of light. And so in his name, 
We bind you, say be gone in his name, come out of him, so that this image bearer of God can get to his maker. Shoulders relax. Ask, hey, what happened? It started to go away when you started to pray in Jesus' name. And then he was able to pray, confess his sin to Jesus out loud with us. And we were able to ask God to give him some sort of uh, gift, a sign of his presence, simply saying, Father, would you reaffirm your love to this man who had wandered from it? We prayed over him, and he felt the love of God and the lightness of God in a way that he had not before. I thought that was particularly powerful because the burning, searing pain he had been in before was replaced by light, bright joy in the Father's love. When we get honest together, when we're actually taking up the mission of God, we need to also become aware of the reality that there aren't just bad people in the world or bad systems or oppressed oppressor dynamics, that there's spiritual evil empowering human agency. It doesn't mean that we walk around every day looking to call out whatever evil spirit we might think is behind you know, the jack-in-the-box drive through or whatever else we think is demonic, probably just our opinion. But as we learn to walk by God's Spirit and not be alone out there in mission, we need to also realize that He Himself with us is the power to free people who are in bondage. Do you think that this slave girl who is telling fortunes for rich, oppressive owners, and Charles, who was bound in his sin, darkness, and aloneness, were not happy to be free? The way that they ran to Jesus after that as though he was actually saving them from something, instead of just the ethereal feeling of spiritual guilt. This is real, friend. As we're devoted to prayer on mission, we will see things that will confront what we think we can deal with on our own. You, by the Spirit of God within you, if you are a follower of Jesus, have his authority. Now, this year, we're going to work together in learning how to steward that authority, how to increase that authority through things like fasting and prayer, which Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 18 are key to spiritual authority. Right? But I hope you didn't sign up to follow Jesus just so that you can feel all right with I hope, I pray that you would see the purpose that is laid out before us and that we'd be able to go to the hard places out in the world that we wouldn't live for comfort, success, riches, worldly fame and glory. We will get to the end of that and be so unhappy. Or maybe happy, but in the lightest kind of sense. But what if we go to the hard places like the jail in the third part of our passage into those who are chained with bonds and God works miracles. You ever wonder, what in the world kept Paul and Silas? They stayed in the jail. I mean, I would have beelined out of there. Thank you, God. We're free. 
they were attentive enough, they must have been attentive enough to God to say, whoa, this changes the circumstances. Lord, what should we do? And somehow, someway, the Spirit of God said, hold tight for a second. So that they could go in God's Spirit to some jailer who is caught in the ranks of a Roman Empire, who is threatened with the power of Rome. He failed in his job. He'd be killed. That's why he's going to throw himself on his sword. He hears the news of Jesus by the ones that he was oppressing. And so as we go out on mission, here's the third point. Don't be surprised when Jesus leads you to a hard place. If you are dead set on a life of comfort, you will not end up where Jesus wants you. Not only might it be hard, Jesus might lead you to the hard place. Jesus might lead you away from the social center to the fringes where lonely, hurting people are. I think that might be where Jesus would be. And so, what I want for us is to displace our own, even our own comfort and our own success enough to say, Jesus, where you send us, we will go. Until you make clear otherwise, we believe we are where you called us to be. And so help us to be here with you, with one another, for the sake of the people around us. As we do that, God will move. And it's not because of yours and my greatness. It's because of the greatness of Jesus. And don't for a second think, well, little old me could never be used by big God because actually you're diminishing the power of God by thinking you're too weak a conduit for him to use you. Okay? He can use anyone. He just needs someone who's willing. So, if you... I have a couple things. The reason we do this as a people, as a church, in God's plan is because we need to support each other. Because as we suffer for the sake of Jesus, we need people who can help us. If you are ever radically, sacrificially generous for the sake of God's mission, and you have need in your life, you don't know where the bills are going to be paid, come and talk to me, talk to a deacon, we will help you. If you're ever suffering or persecuted because of your simple boldness to stand with Jesus where you are, such that it even, say, costs you a job, we have your back. We will help you. We'll financially help you. We will sit with you. We'll pray with you. If you feel called to go to the nations to reach people who haven't heard of Jesus, come talk to us. We'll make sure that you go through the assessment, discernment process. We'll make sure you get equipped and trained for it. We will fund you. If you want to plant a church, we'll do the same thing. Walk with you through that process. The mission of God calls us outside of ourselves. We're going to pray now, as we do each week. And I want us to pray a few things. I want us to pray. If you feel conviction, like God's calling you to look up, look away from yourself, we could simply say, Lord, we're sorry that we've had our eyes on us, that we've been praying for mostly ourselves instead of those around us. That's the first thing. We can confess and repent of our own self-centeredness rather than loving those who are around us. Second thing, we need to pray that God would stir us with the compassion of Jesus so that we would see those around us. 
who wrote all this stuff with his eyes and not live for our own uh, comforts. Okay? God, stir compassion in us. And then the third thing, Spirit of God, do what only you can do. Open people's hearts to you. They would see and follow Jesus too. Can we do that? Thanks for listening. We hope you found this week's episode encouraging and strengthening in your walk with Jesus. For more information on how you can get connected at The Commons LA, please check us out online at thecommonsla.com. There's a lot of great information there. Also, we'd love to have you join us at one of our church gatherings on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Upside Down Cafe in Westwood Village. We hope you'll continue to enjoy these podcast episodes. Mm -hmm.